<coughs> okay, Zereshimshin Parshas Vayechi Jerosh Yud. So Jerosh Yud is mamish. It's a classic of a Zereshimshin because tonight we get a little bit of every, a little bit of everything. We get a little halacha, a little machshava, a little zayar, and then there's a, there's always kedarka, a little bit of a perspective that we take away. So let's look at the context. The context is the Pesukim are talking about Ephraim and Menashe being brought to Yaakov Avinu for a bracha right before Yaakov passes. And right at that point, and let's just remember, Yaakov has been in Eretz Mitzrayim at this time for how many years? For 17 years, he's already been in Mitzrayim. He's come down, it's been a long time, he's reunited, the famine has stopped, Claudius has established themselves in Goshen, and right now, right before the passing of Yaakov, he's giving brachas. And this is the bracha that he gives to Ephraim and Menashe. So what does the Pasuk say? Pasuk, so what's the Pasuk saying? To see your face, Yaakov is, say, Yaakov is saying to Yosef, I didn't even imagine, lo filolti. filolti is a difficult word, but it means to imagine. I didn't even dream. I didn't even imagine to see your face. And instead, what happened? Hashem. What does the Pasuk go on to say? HaKadosh Baruch Hu has shown me even your children. So it's like an irony. Here I was, I didn't even chalim, I didn't even dream, I didn't even imagine I'd ever see you, Yosef. And here the Ebishtah, not only does he give me your face, not only do I get to meet you, but in addition I have your children. That's what the Pasuk says. Ma'akshim ha'ilam, the belt asks as follows. Ma'akasher yesh v'tchilas ha'mikra im soifai. What's the connection? What's the shaykhaz between the beginning of the Pasuk and the end of the Pasuk? What, is the, what, what do we mean to ask with that? The, the question is, what does the seeing of the grandchildren have to do with the surprise that he's seeing Yosef? Meaning, he's saying, I didn't even imagine that I would see Yosef, and here I am, I'm even seeing Yosef's children. So I think al-derech just to understand, what, I mean, he's, getting to, he's, he's building up here. But the simple shot is, it's a greater effect. Here, in what he imagined, he didn't even imagine seeing Yosef, let alone see Yosef and his children. That's definitely the simple shot here. It's an extreme. It's not even seeing Yosef, and the opposite side is seeing Yosef and his kids. But what he's saying is that it's mashma in the Pasuk that seeing the children is what precipitates the thought that I didn't even imagine seeing you. So he's trying to understand what the kesher between Ephraim and Menashe and dreaming of seeing Yosef is. That's the first point. Furthermore, had Yaakov said this the first time that he met Yosef, that would have made sense. Let's say he comes in, it's fresh, and he meets Yosef for the first time, all the years, the 22 years he'd been missing, that would make sense. He exclaims, I never dreamed I'd see you and now I have a chance. Now it's nearing his death. There have been 17 years. Yaakov has been interacting and engaged with his grandchildren, learning Talmud Torah with them for the last 17 years. So not, nothing is being mischadish now or than what happened for the last 17 years. Why Bechlal is Yaakov making this statement? This is at the end, he's giving a bracha. But the question that the Zer Shimshon is posing is that this is not the moment to make this exclamation. The moment to make this exclamation is in the initial meeting between Yaakov and Yosef and Ephraim and Menashe, which was years ago. Why now, only at the end of his life, right before the Misa, is he making this point? I didn't even dream of seeing Yosef, and yet I'm seeing his children. That's the second point. Kasha, a third question. What particularly is the Pasuk coming to teach us? Now, that's an interesting question, which is, I guess, based upon the fact that every dialogue in the Torah has a meaning. Meaning, the Torah has a narrative, and when it gets to a specific dialogue, there has to be a reason why the Torah is telling you the dialogue. It's, it's, it must be important to the story. It must be important to the story that Yaakov is making this exclamation that I didn't dream of seeing Yosef. Why is that important to the story? 
A fourth question, It's really the opposite of the Pasuk right before. The Pasuk right before this one says, The Pasuk says they got heavy, literally, and they got very heavy with Yaakov at old age. Yaakov couldn't see. That's typical, it happened to Yitzchak as well, that Sadiqim, they lose their ability to see at the end of the life. So what's the shot that if Yaakov can't see anything, then how can he say, that now I didn't imagine seeing your face, and yet I'm seeing your grandchildren. In other words, if we read the Pasuk literally, that Yaakov is saying, I'm so excited to see the, the, great, the grandchildren of someone that I didn't even imagine I would see his face, then it has to be that Yaakov is able to see, Yaakov is able to see these children. The kasha is that he's not seeing the children because Yaakov is blind. If Yaakov is blind, as the Pasuk right before, it's Mamash the Pasuk right before, if any Israel kavdu mizaykin, that Yaakov is, loses his ability to see, and how could the Pasuk go on to say that, oh, I didn't imagine seeing your face, and here I am seeing the grandchildren's face. It just seems very odd statement for a blind person to make that I'm seeing people that I can't actually see. So let's go over the questions before we develop the answer. Real quick, let's make a summary of the questions. How many do we have? I think it's four, maybe five. The first question is, let's just go over what the Pasuk is. I didn't imagine to see your face, and yet I'm seeing your children's face. One kasha is, what does seeing the grandchildren have to do that it prompts him to say, I didn't imagine to see your face? The second question is, why is this, why is this being exclaimed at the end of 17 years, right before Yaakov's going to die? The timing for this point should have been in the first moment when he met Yosef. The third question, what specifically is the point of this dialogue? The Torah doesn't tell us every single thing someone says. The fourth question is that it's exactly contradicting the Pasuk before. The Pasuk before says, Yaakov can't see. And now this Pasuk is saying, Yaakov is exclaiming how amazing it is that he's looking at his grandchildren. But he's not seeing them because he can't see. Those are the four kashas. So the, the, the Zerah Shimshin here says, and this is a, this is a theory you know, for all the... The Kabbalists out there, you'll love this shot from the Zerah Shimshin. He says, when, when Yaakov says that he's seeing, he doesn't mean natural sight. He's not, type, he's not talking about seeing that a person does with one's eyes. Right, so you would say that's like a paradoxical thing. What's a re'iyah sikhlis? Re'iyah means to see, sikhli means intellectual. But the idea is it's a perception. It's the way one uses their mind to understand the nature of something else. So usually the most literal way that we do that is we see. We perceive with our eyes and we're able to, our brain processes what it is that our eyes are seeing. But if you think about it, that's just a shortcut. We just need our mind to process something, to take in something beyond us. That's what it means to see. So if you take the deeper homiletical meaning of seeing, so there's a re'i of sikhlis, where you don't have to use your eyes. And even without using your eyes, you're able to perceive what it is that is beyond you. And how does that come? It was a wisdom of the parts of. Now this is a, you know, this is not a simple statement at all. What's the chachmas ha'partzif? So simply, you know, they talk about this today, especially in modern Hebrew, the chachmas ha'partzif, whenever you hear that, they mean face readers. But that's not what he means is what you'll see in modern times because face readers also use their eyes, right? It doesn't help to say he's not literally seeing them, but he's reading their face because our face readers are using, are using their eyes as well. But I think what he's trying to say is he's making it relatable to us. And he's saying just as there is a skill that we're familiar with on some level of face reading, and a person is able to determine someone else's essence by looking at their face. But here, Yaakov is on such a madriga of understanding, of perceiving what is beyond him, that even if he can't have his eyesight to look at someone's face, but as long as that person's face is close to him, he's able to get, those people are gathered around Yaakov, Yaakov will be able to perceive them to use this supernatural perception, so to speak, 
to take in what their essence is. So Yaakov is internalizing who are these people around me even without his eyesight. That's the theory that he says. Where does he get such a concept from? That's a very radical thing to say. That's, you know, saying that in the 1700s out of the blue that Yaakov is using some sort of face reading that doesn't need your eyes, that's very difficult. So he backs himself up. He brings a Zayar. That's what the Zayar says. It says that Yaakov saw Yosef's sons. He sees the sons and he says, who are these people? So the Zayar says, wait a second, Yaakov can't see. So what does it mean that he's seeing? So what's interesting, by the way, is that I looked up the Zoyar because I didn't, you never trust somebody when they quote a Zoyar. That's rule number one in life. But if you look it up, the, the, what the Zoyar says is that Yaakov saw it through Ruach HaKodesh. That's probably what you would imagine they'll tell you in Cheder more. He saw it through Ruach HaKodesh. So I don't know exactly the way to relate to this. On the one hand, the Zoyar is using, you know, that's always the, the easy trick to say Ruach HaKodesh. You see it through Ruach HaKodesh. And he's also now the Zoyar Shimshun is touching it with Chochmas parts of Shehoyulay. I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly how to relate to it. It seems I'm, he's bringing it down and saying it's not Stam, you know, he had a Nevoah to know who these two people were that were standing in front of him, but it was Ke'in HaChachmas HaParzov, whereas the person was a, a, in front of Yaakov, even without his eyesight, he was able to perceive what was in front of him. That's like somewhat of the level. What else? What he saying? Saw the future generation. Oh, very good. Very good. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. We're going to get Hold on. Very good. Then he saw what's going to come. So the Zayar, the Zayar is saying that it's definitely not a literal seeing. The Zayar Shimshon is taking out from that that we could say shot over here so far that it was some sort of face reading that he saw. That's why he's now making it really beautiful. Why does the Pasuk say that Yaakov can't see right before he says, I never imagined to see your face and here I am looking at your children? Why does, what is the juxtaposition? Not only is it not a question, actually it makes sense why one follows the other. The Pasuk is trying to tell us, The Torah is trying to tell us, what kind of seeing are you dealing with? When Yaakov says, and now I'm looking at the kids, he's not talking about a literal seeing. When he says seeing the kids, he means one that is about the perception of the mind. So what has the Zerah Shimshon done for us so far? It's always important. Stop piece by piece, paragraph by paragraph, understand what he has done. So far, all he has explained is why there's no contradiction between the Pasuk that Yaakov can't see and the next Pasuk where it says that Yaakov says, I didn't dream to see your face and I'm looking at your kids. The answer to that question is that we're not talking about a literal physical sight, or rather we're talking about spiritual perception. Okay, that's what we've done so far. Continues. What's the reason for this perception that he's having? We are familiar, Rashi. Rashi says that when Yaakov goes to this last phase, the last phase of Birkas Habanim, in other words, he's lived out his own personal life, and the last thing that Yaakov does, his last mission before his Misa, is to pass on, to, to give the legacy and blessings to the future. So what happens to Yaakov, we're familiar with, is that he nostalgic Menu Ashina. He's trying to do it. He's trying to give it all, but the Shekhinah departs. So what does that mean? What does that symbolize? That symbolizes that there's a blockage. There's, there's something holding Yaakov back from giving his good over to the future. That means that there's something wrong in the kinder. There's something wrong with those who are in front of him that they cannot receive what Yaakov has to give them. That's the Pashib shot. So Yaakov is very nervous. So Chasha B'daytai, Shema Izi Yish Pagam It must be that these kids have a Pagam. Uh, now, what Pagam would this be? Now, this is where the Zerashim Shod elaborates. It's not like, okay, maybe they were some bad people. He explains, Shalirum Bracha, they weren't fit for the Bracha. Maybe one idea, one suspicion that Yaakov had is that who is this Yosef's wife? 
Who did Yosef marry? We're going to talk about it. Maybe people are familiar with the Medrash, which he's going to bring. But who is this girl? Some girl he meets in Egypt, cut off from the family, from Yiddishkeit. Who is this girl? So if we can question who the mother is, then we can wonder, maybe the kinder are pushing not really good Yiddish kinder. Maybe that's one problem. We're familiar with that. That if you marry someone who's not Ein Hagun, if a person marries for the wrong reasons, he doesn't marry a person for their character, but rather for some other motive that he sees. That's a Gemara in Kedushin. It's interesting that the... Uh, that the, he doesn't quote it verbatim, but what the Gemara condition says is that a person who marries for the sake of, let's say, you know, the Gemara gives example of money, there's other examples, but, but the, what happens is you have children who are not worthy. So maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe Yosef was under a terrible influence. He married a woman who was not fit for him to marry, and that's maybe why the children are no good. Another chashash that Yaakov had, Oshe Yosef Tima Biriso Maybe it's really on Yosef. Maybe Yosef was Metame the Bris. So we're familiar, Yosef at Sadiq, the whole Kayach for Yosef was that he was Arangishtubt in the deepest of Tumah, and yet he didn't lose anything about the Bris. But Yaakov Wayev in Chayshish, he thought maybe it was Yosef, maybe he defiled the Kayach Bris or the circumcision while he was in Mitzrayim, maybe he had all sorts of immoral behavior. We're familiar with an idea that of all sins, the one that passes most in a spiritual level, spiritual genetics, the one that passes the most. Is Afaras Habris. Where do we know that that comes from? There's a Pasuk, a hidden thing in a Pasuk in Eicha. The Pasuk says, Our father sinned and they're no more. And the Pasuk goes on to say, and we're still suffering from their sins. So there's a concept of a child suffering for what their parents did. What is that? So this is again, very spiritual thing. He says, everybody knows, it's Kiyadua. That the sin that the Pasuk talking about that comes for a child to suffer from the parent is the Avon Abris from the Indian of Shaivivim from not being careful with areas of immorality. So if assuming that's the truth, so now he has one of two Chashashas. Either the mother's no good, maybe she was not a woman that Yosef was really supposed to marry, or B, maybe Yosef was made for the Bris. That's why Yaakov asked Yosef, Who are these kids? It seems that they're not fit from the Bracha. I see that the Shechina is departing. Who is this? That's what he's asking them. He's asking them, maybe there's a not good mother, or maybe you're the father who is guilty of immorality. That was the kasha, the question, the suspicion that Yaakov poses towards Yosef. What is the answer then? The Heshav of Yosef, Yosef answers, they are my sons. Asher nosan that the Ebeshta gave me with this. So here he's going to analyze. This is classic Zerah Shimshon. Every word makes a difference. Asher nosan liyalakim bazeh. What does that mean? That Hashem gave me with this. What's pshat? What does it mean that Hashem gave me with this? Now we know what Rashi says. Rashi says that what Yosef took out, Yosef took out his ksuba. He takes out his ksuba and he shows, look, I'm married. What do you want from me? But he says, that's a bissel shverbi. In other words, what he's going to say is, I know what Rashi said. And maybe we'll elaborate, elaborate on it later on. But I want to say a different thing. Meaning we're pushing away Rashi. Rashi said that he showed him the ksuba. He's going to suggest another pshat. What's the pshat? And this is, I think, a great idea. If you don't know it, could die just to come to learn this fact. The Isa B'yalkut. It's a yalkut. It's a medrash. And the Maisa with Shechem. When Shechem captures Dina and he's, and he's with her. So the Pasuk says, and they listen to Hamar, The Medrash comments on that Pasuk that Dina was impregnated. She was impregnated by Shechem. And she gave birth. Dina had a daughter. What, what happened to that daughter? So that daughter is a horrible uh, association with the Pagam. And they, when you think about that child, no one wants, none of, none of the, the Shvatim want to have anything to do with that kid. 
Rabbi Yaakov, he wrote some Maharga, the children of Yaakov wanted to kill that daughter. What's everyone going to say? That, you know, there's a bunch of harlots' daughters living amongst Chal Yisrael. So what did Yaakov do? Yeah, Yaakov had Rachmim on, on, on his granddaughter over here. He wrote the Abishra's name on a golden plate. He made her a jewelry. He hung it around her neck. So he sends her away. And Miyad Ba Michal, as soon as Michal comes, Hevi Asal Mitzrayim, the angel Michal brings her down to Mitzrayim, the base of Shapatifar, Hakalish Baruch orchestrates that she goes to the house of Potifar, the Vishai Sarauyala Yosef. She was the only one who was actually a suitable match for Yosef. And that woman, Vihi Asnas, that's what the Torah is saying, Asnas, the daughter of Potiphera, meaning she's not actually the daughter of Potiphera. Ishto Potiphera Gidlaso Kibas. The Pshat is that Potiphar, Potiphar and his wife adopted her and raised her as if she was their daughter. But the fact was that Asnas was actually a daughter of Dina. Atkan Lashono, that's the quote of the Medrash. So according to the Medrash, Asnas is the daughter of Dina, and Yaakov, and, and, and rather Yosef, I'm sorry, is actually marrying here his niece in the most permissible kosher, viosher marriage that is out there. Umeata, if you work based upon this Medrash, upon the Yaakov, Shaper Kamar Shonasin Now we can understand what Yosef's saying. Hashem gave me these children with this. So we had Shver, what's the this? Zeh, what do Chazal always say? Because Zeh means something you can point at. Zeh mer be'etzpa. He was pointing to something with his finger. Vahainu, meaning, He had the jewelry. He took out the plate with the name of the Ebesha that Yaakov himself wrote and put on his own daughter and sent her away. And he now, everything comes full circle. Yaakov, your chayshish, that the mother of your grandchildren is not, a, is not a good person, you should know that the mother of your grandchildren is actually your granddaughter. And the raya is that I am the one who discovers this golden plate that was on her neck. And I know that the whole thing was from you. That she was actually suitable for him. She was designated to be uh, for his wife. And it was supposed to be the other way. Because look, the angel Michal had brought her down. So now we understand when he says, they are my children, they are my children that Hashem has given me with this. It means I know that this was from the Abishta. Yosef is saying, I didn't just go into a relationship. I, I knew who was from the Abishta because it was Bazet, it was with this, it was with this golden plate that I found around her neck. That's how I knew that it was a suitable match for me. So that's how we answered about the mother. Now the question is, but what about the father? Right? In other words, Yosef has to calm his father. How am I going to tell dad that I didn't I wasn't made for the bris and that I was good? The other concern. Maybe Yosef had defiled the Brits while he was in Mitzrayim. After all, the Egyptians were very shot of Pizimash. That means they were, you know, steeped in the worst of Tumah. You can't prove that. In other words, it's one thing to prove who your wife is. You can prove her yichas. You can take out, you can take out the golden plate. How are you going to prove that you didn't sin? How are you going to, one human being, going to tell another human being, I'm telling you I wasn't made for my bris. I didn't do immoral acts. How are you going to prove that? Yaakov was trying to figure out what Yosef was by reading his face. By doing so, by reading Yosef's face, he was able to realize the whole time he was in Mitzrayim, he didn't sin. That's why the kids were worthy of blessing. Meaning to say, after all is said and done, it's not something that you can see literally. You want to know whether or not somebody sinned, you'll never be able to use your literal eyesight to know that. 
Only if you use this deeper chachma, this deeper meaning of perception that Yaakov had, despite the fact that he was blind, that's the only way he was able to recognize that Yosef was a tzaddik. That Yaakov's eyes were heavy with age, meaning he can't see literally. And if he can't see literally, now you're going you're gonna to understand. What's the next pasuk? I didn't dream to see your face, and now I'm looking at my grandchildren. It's talking about a spiritual sight. And the point is, I'm seeing Tzidkus, that's the point. In order for Yaakov to get to the bracha, he has to be able to realize that they are tzaddikim. He has to realize that Yosef wasn't made for the bris. The only way he's going to be able to do that is if he's going to use the spiritual sight. We'll come full circle. I understand there's still a little confusion here. That's what the pastor goes on to say. I didn't imagine to see your face and Hashem has showed me your kids. So what he's saying is a spiritual awareness. I was never confident that I could look at your face and see it tzaddik. That's what he's saying. He's not saying I didn't dream to ever see you again. That's the pastor trying the pastor. I never dreamed I'd ever see you again. That was a conversation for 17 years ago. That, that, that ship has sailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been reunited with Yosef for 17 years. But he's saying now, I was always looking at you literally. So I never knew if you were a tzaddik. I was dumb. I saw you. But if I ever had to wonder if I was looking at a tzaddik, I never would have been sure. As long as I had my eyesight and just relating to you and the physical eyesight, I would never know if I'm seeing the pun from a tzaddik. But now that I'm blind and I'm relying instead on literal eyesight, but I'm relying on spiritual perception and I'm using a deeper chachma to know who you are, now not stam that I'm able to see. I see that you're Kaddish and because I see that you're Kaddish, and again, I know who the mother is, now I know that the kinder are Kaddish as well. By looking at your face, I know who your kids are. Because I know the mother was good from the golden plate. I look at your face and I see Tzidkus. So now all of my concerns about the kinder are not here. The kinder must be good. They have a good kosher mother. And the father wasn't made for her bris. Everything was good. So let's go over and we're going to take a break here because it really is a conclusion to this thought. At this point, it has answered the first question beautifully. The first question was... What is the connection between the beginning of the Pasuk and the end of the Pasuk? I didn't chalam to dream your face, to see your face, and now I'm seeing your grandchildren. So the first kasha was, what's the connection? Not dreaming to see Yosef's face and looking at the grandchildren, they're not at the same point. The answer is mamish like this. In order to give a, to see the grandchildren, to give a bracha to the grandchildren, you have to be confident that they're the right people, they're right to, to receive the bracha. In order to do that, he has to be, he has to, he has to be confident that Yosef is a tzaddik. How does he know how to do that? I never had dreamed that I would be able to have such a thing. I didn't know. I was always concerned otherwise. Only at this point, where the Pasuk emphasizes right before, I've lost my eyesight, and now I'm learning, and now I'm relying on spiritual perception, this is the first time that I'm actually only confident now. At this point, I'm confident that you're a tzaddik. That's finally now why I'm able to see my care and children. Finally, I'm able to see that I'm dealing with people who are called Shvatar. It answers the beginning of the Pasuk towards the end of the Pasuk. Also, it's beautiful why the Torah tells us the dialogue. Remember, that was the third question. Why does the Torah tell us this dialogue? The Torah says Pasuk. Because the dialogue is the reason why the bracha occurred. Yaakov is saying, Until this moment, I didn't know that you were a tzaddik. I was hoping, but I didn't know if you had sinned before. But now I'm able to know that they are tzaddik and the grandchildren. That's why I'm able to give the bracha. And of course, it answers the question why this pasuk is being said now after 17 years and not 17 years before. Because it's not talking about literally I'm happy to see you again despite the fact that I was scared I would never see you again. What it's saying is I'm happy to discover with the deeper with the deeper eyesight that you were a tzaddik because I would never sure about that by looking at you literally. That is the meaning here in the Taich of the Pesukim. That ends the first segment. I don't think it's good to break, like, break for a moment, internalize, 
breathe. I think the most important takeaway, again, just to make this relatable, this is stuff, this is high up there, very, very deep things that he's talking about. I think the most important thing is to realize here that there, there, there's two levels of perception. And it's an amazing thing how they work one almost against the other. For 17 years, Yaakov has met Yosef. And, you know, he can say to Yosef, are you a tzaddik? He could learn Torah with him. He'd been learning Torah with him. He could discuss. They could go to shul together. They could have Shabbos together. And he has no clue who he's dealing with. That's number one. I think just stop there. It's an amir de gazach. We all live with that, right? In other words, we live with the literal eyesight. Most of us, right? At least I do. So you live... It's an amazing thing. A, a, a tata can, can look him and I'm like, a, a whole life with a, with a kid and he doesn't know who he is. It's a, it's a pacha. It's a pacha that as human beings you live with. As a father, it's a scary thought. It's a very scary thought. You, ultimately, you don't know. You don't know who you're dealing with when you're dealing with your eyesight. It's important to realize the, the shortcomings of the eyesight. What you think, the way you would engage, the way you'd learn with somebody. The way, after remember, you don't know. You really don't know there is so much which is just simply hidden. And it's only in the last moment of Yaakov's life, right here, when he's like trying to figure out why the Ruach HaKadosh is there and now all of his suspicions come out. And it's at a moment when he can't see. And then this is the moment when he goes to the deeper perception and he hits this deeper Kayach, which he has, call it Ruach HaKadosh, call it face reading, whatever exactly the Kayach is. It's only in that moment when he chaps who Yosef is. And like, Mamish, in the last moment of his life, it's not when he's reunited, it's not when they're together, it's not when they're sitting at the shop. This is the last moment when it finally comes out. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime moment to understand who somebody is. And, it, you know, I think all of us understand on a certain level that there are moments where we get close to that. There's a moment of honesty, in times of real, when things are super real. It's not the way life usually is. Usually the life is ropanakalopiloti. But the once in a while where something is real and you have a true shaykh as to who someone is, you see the face and it's clear. You see the soul, you know what's going on. It's a tremendous kayach. And that was exactly what was going on here in the moments here with Yaakov. So that ends the first, uh, the first stage. Okay, here we go. Now, let's try to see if we can hop the second stage as well. Once we've established this, now let's move on to Ephraim and Asha. This is going to be taking this whole thing to the next level. That's the whole Indian. He switches his hands with Ephraim and Asha. Why does he do that? Because Ephraim, despite the fact that he's the younger son, but he's going to have to have Yoshua. Yoshua is going to do Nisim, which are going to, uh, you know, bring a lot of cover to the world. Everybody's going to know the greatness of Klai all the time when Yoshua does Nisim. Therefore, he switches and puts his right hand in Yoshua. What does the Goyim? The children of Ephraim are going to fill up the nations, meaning that the reputation, that's the key here. Meloya Goyim is like the most, it's, it's the most, in a way, superficial. Meloya Goyim means everybody's going to know Ephraim. And that's Taka the Pashup Shad. It doesn't say anywhere, you know, Menashe is less of a tzaddik. That's not the Vart. The Vart is, is that from Ephraim it's going to be, everybody's going to know the godless from a Yid. Everybody's going to, it's undeniable. When you see a, such a story and the sun standing the way it did with Yoshua, every, it's, it's going to be in full in the papers. In fact, that's such a simple question. That's not the Baramba. That's what we care about. I care about Vashtrachliana Goy out there in the Velt. He gets the right hand because the Goyim are going to be impressed by Yoshua. And that's really what the simple Shan in the Pasuk says. That the Goyim are going to get it. They're going to respect Klai Yisrael because of Yoshua. That's what we put the primacy on. That's not the right reason. Even more so. It's against all of the regular values. You take the Bechar away from somebody because that other person will impress other people. Here's a beautiful diet. 
after the bracha, after he makes the bracha, the Pasuk says again, he put his right hand on Ephraim, because, despite the fact that he wasn't the Bukhar. The Pasuk is mashma, it wasn't only in the moment of the bracha that he switched it. It was like continuous that way. Even after the bracha, it stays, it remains. Ephraim's the dominant, he's the right hand. Why is that? He had already done that. The Torah is indicating that Yaakov had like given him a certain chilek in the Bukhar. It wasn't only in the moment of the bracha, but it was continuous. He says a great point. There is no other case where a younger brother skips the right of Bukhar. You never have that. It's always the opposite. The Pasuk in Kisese says, even if the bigger Sadiq is the younger son, it's a din. The Bukhar has to be the Bukhar. You're not allowed to skip. And he brings Rias. I'm going to go a little bit quicker now. With Moshe Rabbeinu, Shevet Levi, they were the third son, but they were bigger. He split the sea. The greatest person to live. That Levi should go before Ruvain? If we're going about who's going to be a greater people, then Levi should be the Bukhar. Levi's going to get the greatest person in Jewish history. So the whole thing doesn't make sense. Why is Ruvain the Bukhar? Forget about it. And then you think about Kahuna, you think about Levia. The other Rabbi Ruben is the one who gets criticized the most, but it says Ruben Bachar Yisrael. So at the end of the day, that's the biggest precedent that we don't care about who's going to be the bigger one. We care about who came first. That's a din. It's a din. So what's the whole Indian? Take a step back. What? Oh, you mean he, he bought it? He bought it. Interesting. Interesting. See, we, we, what's he saying? We don't find precedent. Yaakov Alain came and, and stole it. The proper, it was through the mechanism, it was through a sale. Here is just judgment of character. Yeah, very good. So, so, so what's this whole thing? Ephraim and Asha. So we only have two points. That's them. How why is he coming because he's bigger? The bigger question here, Rabbi Sai, is why is Ephraim bigger? It doesn't say because Ephraim's a bigger tzaddik, because Zaryam Goyim. Everyone's gonna know about Ephraim. His reputation, everyone's gonna know about the nace. Why is that what we care about? Says he says as follows. Remember, if you look at the story, there's a Yosef, he goes to Mitzrayim, he's this handsome guy, and suddenly he's got these kids. If Yaakov's nervous about what Yosef did, what do you think they're saying in the papers, right? Everybody's nervous. Clearly, there's something which is uncertain about the situation here. The future Klaisar goes through the channels of Yosef. Yosef is the king, the vice of Mitzrayim. But we don't know how Jewish the guy is. And even if he seems good, we don't know what the kinder are. We don't know who the mother is. We don't know if Yosef was made for bris. Even if Yaakov had the supernatural powers at the very end of his life, because he got it, that's a Yiddish Kayach. To understand who somebody is, to look at the face and know what it is, that's a Yiddish Kayach. We believe everything in the Torah. We understand all the Midrashim. So we could use the Kayach HaTayra to know that Yosef was a Tzaddik, to believe that the Kinder was a Tzaddik, to believe that the future of Kalei Yisrael went through Tzaddik. We don't have a hard time believing that. We could learn as Ashtigl Zer Shimshin with a Geshmak, and that's the Psharo Lopilisi. That's for us. If I tell over the story to Apasha the guy, they just want to know the story. Don't tell me a drasha. Don't tell me Pshan and Apostle. Tell me the story. A guy is disconnected from his family for 22 years and he's got nothing. You're going to tell me he's not going to sin? Right? I tell a guy, tell a guy that story. You think a guy can believe in that? And you think about this, it's such a chizik. Everyone who's there and, and, and has to work in a guyish environment, it's a tremendous thing. You tell a guy your story, then no, I'm not looking for a relationship. I don't care. Don't try to seduce me. It's not going to make a difference. It, 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 it's not believable. It's not believable. You tell a guy the story. It is not a believable story. It's, it's a simple story. We know to us, yeah, God, that we have a kayak. And we're, 
You tell a guy this story, it is not a believable story. The story from Yosef HaTzadik, which is our Kayak, which we go through in our struggles, it's not a believable story. We know the answer, but they don't get it. What happens? They could say, this Yosef, for sure he sinned. There's no way he was above it. Everything around him was, was steeped in morality. Doesn't the Pasuk say in Mishle, if a person, can a person walk on coals and not get scorched? Do you think you can walk in Egypt? Do you think you can be in a Gaiish environment and not sin? The Pasuk is basically saying it's impossible. Vim Cain, everyone's going to say, Ephraim and Asha, Ephraim and Asha for sure are tainted. Ephraim and Asha have no business being calling themselves Jews. That's what the world is going to say. Meaning that even when we got confirmation, the story was not believable. That's the key. Sometimes the Kayak from Yid is to know yourself, but then there's another dimension to make sure that the story is relatable, to make sure that it's something that anyone can understand. And that was missing. Yaakov could get it. He could have this deeper face reading and he could have the drosh and we could sit there and believe in it. But the story itself is not a believable story. And this is all from the Hashkacha from HaKadosh Baruch We have the who comes right after Maishu Rabbeinu. Who's the person who comes after the greatest, the greatest person in Klai Yisrael? Someone from Shevet Ephraim, Yehoshua. And he does dafka in front of the nations of the world. That's why it was the sun standing. The sun standing, what's the sun? He doesn't elaborate on this, but this is what I think he means. Normally we say, What's the chama? The chama is the one thing that's the goyim. Why is it the goyim? Because it never changes. That's the key. We wax, we wane, we struggle, we fight with the we have problems, we have tainas. That's the way the moon works. It's renewal. That's the kayak achidish from a yid. The goyim, it is what it is. It's nature. It's routine. The world works every single day. Hashemesh yatzah That's it. That's the way it is. The one time in history when it wasn't like that was Yehoshua. Clearly, Yehoshua's nace, when on the battlefield, the sun stood still, it was a nace, it was a nace which was Davka, so that the Goyim should see the Kayach from Ephraim. It's Mamish in the pastures of what's going on. That the miracle transpires with what they perceive as greatness. They see the strength as the sun is the greatest thing. It took that moment in Jewish history for everyone to really realize the greatness of Ephraim. In the time from uh, Yehoshua, it was revealed retroactively, it must be that it's true. And this actually somehow, call it miraculously, call it supernaturally, Yosef was not made for her bris. And now we understand Pshat. Ephraim, here's the last key. This is the cherry on top. Until Ephraim came and produced in a, someone like Yehoshua, Menashe was not a Yiddish kid in a believable way to the Goyim. He was Meyerdik, he was the Bachar. But to have a, a, a Yiddish akin, which would be a believable story, it wasn't a believable story until Ephraim. Kum Tachai said it's only through Ephraim that Menashe has any chashivos. That's the taich that Ephraim comes first. What purpose is there in being a Bachar if you don't have anything from it? You're not Yiddish, you're nothing. You're a tainted son. You care to be a tainted son? Oh, but I'm the Bachar. You're, not, you're cut off. Nobody cares about you. You're not Klai Yisrael. You're not, you come from someone who was made for his bris. In Kvailan, who's suffering a Bagam Apostle, everybody's just wondering, doubting him, saying there's no way that he was able to do it. So that's the taich. The taich is why are we going ahead, dafko over here. Let's go over the questions and see how it was answered. The question was, how, where do we ever find precedent in history that we skip a Bukhar? It's a din. We don't skip a Bukhar. Kasha number one. Kasha number two is, why is the, why are we putting Ephraim first? Not because he's greater. Because everyone's going to see about Yoshua. Yoshua's going to stop the sun. Everyone's going to see that. So what? 
Why is that? Why do we? Why is that what we care about? What the Goyim are going to think? So he's explaining that the last Kenech is that there's two different perspectives here. The first perspective was what Yaakov was able to see when Yaakov lost his literal eyesight right at the end. I was always uncertain, but at the end, I'm able to see you and I'm able to see your kinder with a deeper spiritual perception. I see that you were Taka, not made for your bris, and I see it's Zeh. See, it was Asnas was a good one. Yaakov got it. But what's going to be with the story? How do the Goyim see it? How are they going to perceive us? What does it mean to be a Jew? In that moment, Menasha was the Bukhar, but the Bukhar didn't mean anything. Unless it's a story that you can believe in, then what is it? So the Prat is it was someone Yehoshua. Yehoshua comes from Shev from Shevet Ephraim. Ephraim comes along and makes the sun stand still. He speaks to the Goyim, Goyim. And they look back at the story and they make their affirmation as well. They say yes to the story. And that's really the Kayach. That's the legacy of what we have from Ephraim and Menashe and the Parshat Vayechi. I think it's just like in our times, it's so relatable that there's two things. There's number one, to see with your perception. That's the first Kayach. The Kayach from Yaakov. You know, forget about what anybody else thinks. Close your eyes. Fakaret. When you look, you never know. You could see 17 years with the person. At the end of the day, you have no clue if they're at Tzadik or Russia, and you got to live with that uncertainty. But when the eyesight goes, there's a Kayach from a Yid to believe in Chazal and see it in the Kayach Hatayra to see what someone is, Lamana Emes, to see truth in a way that the world will never get, but you'll get because you have a Kayach from a Yid. That's number one, the Kayach from Yaakov. But the other Kayach is you have to understand that you're living in a story and that there's a story and that there's a world and people are seeing something, they're understanding, they're judging. They're trying to understand, and it's up to us to a certain degree to tell a good story, to make a story, to be Malaya Goyim. And it took years, it took centuries for such a thing to happen, but it happened all his man of Yoshua who came from Shevet Ephraim. He was the one who gave a good reputation back to the Kayach from Menashe, and that's why he was came first.